I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Project Loving Myself podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. I try to keep that in mind and knowing and know that what am I learning? What is it I'm supposed to learn from this lesson? You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal, and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Hi, everyone. This is Sanaya on the Project Loving Myself podcast. Today's episode is a brilliant one. Our guest is someone that I've known for many years. I've come across her in the same industry, but I've never really had a chance to sit down and talk with her. And that's something I've always wanted to do. And so today I get to get to know her a little bit better. No stranger to the limelight, this creative visionary, model, and TV host, style icon, and free-spirited guest has taken the global stage from the age of 17. With her style, passion, and talent, she has graced the covers and pages of fashion magazines, including Harper's Bazaar, Elle, Marie Claire, Mega Magazine, Preview, and People Asia. She has appeared on various global advertising campaigns, dabbled in various theater shows and films, hosted the popular show Project Runway Philippines and become the host and executive producer of Runway TV Asia. While her career has spanned 15 years in the areas of beauty, fashion, art, travel, and entertainment, it was through yoga, dance, and nature where she found her inner peace. Today, she is a yoga and dance instructor and the woman behind the movement Trance Dance. She created the Philippines chapter of the Global Mala Movement to expand the yoga community in the Philippines, and she continues to pursue her passion in art, film, and theater by founding the Collective 88 Art Company and acting in every brilliant thing. When I think about Teresa Herrera, our guest today, the words from a Taylor Swift song come to mind. She was once lost, but she found herself again, and somehow... That was everything. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Oh, thank you for that introduction, Sanaya. Thank you for having me. Teresa, we are going to talk about so many different topics today because I know that you have a variety of um, different experiences under Mm -hmm. your belt. Now, I want to start a little bit with your background in entertainment. Mm -hmm. So 
you used to be a model, you've acted mm-hmm. and you still continue to act, of course. And one of the um, quotes that I, I read from one of the interviews that you gave, you said that in entertainment, you are the product. Now, I completely understand that. And I would imagine that it becomes very hard to separate what you do from who you are. So tell me about what that was like and what were the negative effects, perhaps, of working in that industry from a very young age? Yeah, sure. I think I started in fashion at 17 years old. And at that time, I was still young and impressionable and still forming my own identity. And so when I would go out on castings and for jobs or, you know, magazine work, things like that, and somebody would make a comment of course you would take it personally because you're not yet at that stage of, you know, taking that criticism and be like, okay, they're just talking about a certain aspect of who I am, but not really who I am. Of course, I was so young, I would take every criticism personally because I thought that was about me, you know, many years later. And also what helped is I got into yoga and meditation at 19. And as my spirituality and my practice grew, then I was really able to understand that you are not your body. You, you, your mind, your soul is, you know, is, is completely spiritual and you're here having a human experience. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's one of my favorite quotes. In fact, I was just typing it out today that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings mm-hmm. having a human experience. Absolutely. And I would not have come to that understanding had I not followed this, you know, yoga path, the meditation path, because it really has kept me grounded and centered in who I am and what I valued in my morals in this crazy world of fashion and entertainment. Because obviously it's, it's so easy to lose yourself. Completely. And I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking of you must have been this young girl and everybody who was commenting, whether it's about your body or your face or anything physical, they're adults. They are, you know, in positions of like power because they are deciding whether you're going to get the part or not. And so it's not just, you know, being in the industry, but it's all these people in those roles And the position of power that they are speaking from, which makes such an impression on someone who's a teenager. And of course, it must have been really tough. And I can't imagine what everybody else in that industry must be going through without the help of yoga and, you know, the spirituality that you ventured into, I think that helped you a lot to get through it. I also read, um, Teresa, that you dealt with a bit of anxiety during Mm. that time. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more about that. And how did you understand it as anxiety at that age? Because I know a lot of people have anxiety or even depression, but they yeah. don't understand that what they're going through, what they're feeling is anxiety or it is depression. They just think it's kind of like normal life. That's how people feel. So can you perhaps relate from your perspective how to understand what it was like back then and how it changed through yoga and the journey that you took from there. Yes. I mean, even though I was doing yoga, I wasn't yet at the point of like, you know, I knew everything or I wasn't that comfortable. I was still new to yoga, which makes sense because, you know, I just started, I'm young, I'm trying to get as much information about the world, yet try to pursue a career that I loved and traveling and all that. So 
the anxiety that I felt was this constant overwhelm. You know, when they, when you define anxiety, it's always one foot in the future and one foot in the past. Trying to get yourself to the present moment to gain clarity and perspective was always super hard because my mind was always racing to the next gig, to the next job, to the next, to the next, to the next. Some people call that ambitious, whatever people call it. It felt very overwhelming mm-hmm. at the time. And at times I didn't like it. I, I went against it. You know, yes, I came from fashion, but I never wanted, I never saw myself wanting to be caught up in it. I didn't want to be caught up in the cycles of having to wear the latest things or having to get the latest bag. Like I knew that that's just not one of the things I valued. I valued the creativity of fashion and the industry. I valued all the creative minds and the designers I work with and the makeup artists and the photographers, all the artisans to make an image happen or to make a creation happen. Those are the things I valued. The consumption was never something I valued. You appreciated the art, but not the other things that went into it. But how did you at that age, you know, you're 17, 18, 19, and most people get sucked into it, right? Most people get caught up in the whole, like the bags, the shoes, who you know, the parties, the jet setting. What is it about you that perhaps stopped you from getting you know, caught up in that? What is it about you that said, this is not what I want to do? I think being in it, and I was the subject of it, I knew how many people it take to make an image happen. You know what I mean? It's like in a, in a photo studio, it's like minimum 10 people to make a beautiful photo happen. It's not just you, right. you know? So I knew all of it is an illusion, you know? It wasn't real life. I had the work life, so I was able to separate it. This was work. I was putting on makeup. I was putting on these beautiful clothes. At the end of the day, I didn't own it. We were creating an image for a magazine or a brand or for a product that we're selling. That's what it was. And I had a very clear understanding of that because I was in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. So it's kind of like you weren't attached to that image. There was like a real separation. That wasn't you. Yeah, you never felt like it was you. Yeah. But a lot of people don't feel that way, right? A lot of people in the industry tend to get very attached to that persona that they are on camera or, you know, on social media or, you know, on TV or video or so on. So what do you think is going on there? You know, that's a great question. It can be a consuming world, like an all-encompassing, all-consuming world because it is your career. But somehow, deep inside myself, I always knew there was going to be something more and something Mm -hmm. after. I knew modeling was only like a stepping stone to something else. I knew acting was a stepping stone to something else or it's just a form of expression. Everything comes from the inside, who you are, who you are authentically, And I think one of the major things that really left a huge impact on me was when I was 22 years old, I met this guru from India in LA. I don't know if you're familiar, Swami Sachinananda. Yes. And he passed away maybe two or three years after that. And I remember this. I was like, 
it was like 1999 or 2000. I was in LA. I was, a, I was at the friend's house and he was there because he was close to that family. And I didn't understand it at the time because I was young and I was just getting into all of this. But I remember buying a CD and I would listen to it every day as, as a meditation, you know, and, and I still have the CD recording to this day. And it's like, I, I still hear his voice like, you are happiness personified. Who will be the happiest person? The one who brings happiness to others. You know, like I yeah. know that meditation CD and it's an hour long meditation CD. So I would get into this feedback loop of it's not about the material. It's about your mind. It's about your presence of mind. It's about equanimity. It's about, about balancing your mind and body. And I guess first, maybe I just program myself through listening to this meditation CD that I was able to detach myself from the industry. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it's the detachment. It's the not identifying with that, you know, personality that you were becoming in front of the camera. And I also think that, and maybe this is a good question to ask you, do you think that's what you were that was what was meant to happen, that you got into acting and modeling, you got into that fashion industry, but you were really meant to go a different way? Or do you think it's the choices you made along the way that took you away from that and closer to the things that you practice today? Yeah, I think all of it, all of the above, you know, we're brought on this earth. We've signed up for these experiences, right? So if I went into modeling or acting, that's part of a soul expression that I had that I was meant to express during my lifetime. Now, whether it was meant to last a year or 10 years, who knows? Right. You know, all I could do is honor where I'm at at the moment, make the best of the opportunities while still being guided by my morals and values. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, as you're going on the journey, yes, you're going to be making choices. Is this going to bring me what I ultimately want? Or is it going to take me away from what I want? Right. You know, and it's not good or bad. It's just, what do you prefer to experience? I don't right. label anything as good and bad anymore. You know, it's just, we have our preferred experiences. That's all it is. So what do you think of those experiences that bring us a lot of pain, challenge and difficulty versus those experiences that bring us happiness and joy. And I'm, I'm asking that question in context of you choosing or going into fashion and modeling. And yeah. I know you did really well there, but there was a lot of anxiety until mm -hmm. you found some way of, of keeping yourself balanced mm -hmm. and, you know, neutral and detached from the world that you are very much a part of. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. The experience of yoga and, you know, living that more healthy, holistic lifestyle yes. complemented the other choices that were being, bringing you a little bit of pain. But after this yoga journey, I would say, because yoga is, is heavily, I, I know, part of your journey. But after that, it was almost like you could marry that aspect of your life with this aspect. So what are your thoughts about that, Teresa? I think yoga and meditation open the door, but I think at the end of the day, we have to come to terms with our own healing, you know? And when I was experiencing a lot of anxiety, and I talk openly about this, I was seeing a therapist in LA. I was seeing a therapist for about a year, every week, you know, just to 
go through my childhood and identify the pain points of where the trauma was. And we had to go in there and heal, you know? And I think yoga and meditation didn't completely do that. There were certain aspects of myself psychologically that I I had to address and heal from. And I think yoga and a healthy lifestyle, a holistic lifestyle is supportive of that healing, but I don't think that's, it's the only path. So what you're talking about is the role of healing, that healing becomes very important in conjunction with the other choices that we make to live a certain type of a lifestyle that might be more beneficial for us. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Now, what are the other kinds of challenges that you've had to deal with aside from the anxiety and learning how to stay detached? What are the challenges that you've dealt with being in beauty acting and modeling? The constant rejection, right? Like, cause you're going up for roles and you know, the constant rejection at a certain point I had to, part of that was detachment, right? I had to learn that what I'm going for is a job. It's a job option. If I get it great, if I don't, there's something else that's meant for me. Did you feel insecure when you got rejected? Like what were the kind of feelings that you would have to confront? I did not feel insecure because I, I, I knew my strengths. I, I was a self-aware person that I knew where my strengths were. If they were looking for a certain type, I think by that point, I was already like 23, 24. Like at that point, you have to have some knowledge and self-aware capacity to understand how you're going to fit into the business and to understand what do you have to offer. If I go out for an audition and they're looking for 150 girls and I look around the room and it's girls of every single ethnicity or every different type, you know, height, weight, whatever, then I know, oh, it's, it's a wide net. They don't have a specific, the clients don't have a really specific vision of what they're looking for. However, if you're looking around the room and you see, oh, maybe all you guys are the same, same look, same height, same this, same that, then everything else will just go into specifics from there. So I knew that they were hiring a product. They weren't, I don't know if that makes sense. I was able to really separate that part. And I did not feel the insecurity because I had programmed myself to be like, okay, if this is not meant for me, something bigger and better will. And knowing that when those opportunities come, more often than not, it was 10 times whatever that other offer was. I think that's the attitude that probably got you really far in the industry because you didn't take those setbacks as a personal attack on you, but that, you know, there was something better. There was something better. And I think that's a really important lesson and an important point to emphasize on that lots of times we may want something and we don't get it, but we can choose how to react, right? We can say, oh, you know, I really wish I got it and regret and be upset and get attached to it. Or we can say something better is going to come along. And as you said, it usually comes, you know, 10 times better than we could have ever imagined. So I think that's, that's interesting that you learned that lesson at a very young age. And I'm sure it's continued to, you know, to help you throughout your life. You know, my, my father passed away when I was 24 years old. And I remember like, how do I stay close to him? And I would pray. It's making me emotional now because I would pray a lot. And I always say like, look, if this opportunity is really meant for me or this person is really meant for me, please let me have it. If it's not, take it away from me as fast as you can. And that's always been my prayer to this day. 
it's making me emotional because it's it's the truth. Thank you for sharing that. That's something I can imagine that was not easy for you to deal with at that age. But how did you have so much maturity at that age, at 24, to be able to have that conversation? I mean, you must have been thinking on a completely different level than most people in the age of 20s. I do you have think, no idea. Do you think it was your childhood? Do you, what do you think was it? Because what I'm hearing is someone who's obviously, you know, you've, you've carved your own path pretty much from a very young age. It sounds like it. You know, you're, you're not about fitting in or belonging or you're not like everybody else. So, and I think it's still the case. You know, you're, you're definitely <laughs> yeah. very, very unique. And I think that's what's amazing about you is that you know very clearly who you are and you're not trying to fit in and be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So what would you say has helped you stay that way? You know, to be able to be yourself and to be honest about it and authentic. And Teresa, yoga is a lot about that, right? About being authentic and being just open and being yourself. More, yeah, yeah, yoga is, but I think also meditation, you know, just being still, giving yourself that time and that space to listen to that, that quiet inner voice, you know, tapping into your intuition, tapping into your soul code and listening like, okay, what's next? What's next for me? You know, and just and listening and, and being patient, no matter what anything or anyone else is doing, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with you. You, everyone has their own path. And if we follow that, if we really authentically listen and follow that, I think this world would be a much better place. I agree with you completely. And I'm so glad we're having, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think this is what people need to hear. You know, this is what people need to think about and learn from. So tell me about your meditation practice. How did you get started and what are the different techniques you have practiced and what are you doing now in terms of meditation? Okay. How I got started was I was living in Thailand at the time and I was already reading books on meditation and I know Thai culture, they also have temples and things like that. So I heard about this temple and I said, okay, I want to learn how to meditate. So I, I go to the temple and I, and I have knock on the door and I'm like, okay, how do I learn how to meditate? How do I get into this? They're like, okay, show up tomorrow, 6.45 AM, walking through this door. And that was it. That's the only direction they gave me. And I was like, okay. All right. So I walk in and, you know, sit down and, and I'm just taking a look around and everyone's going into their meditation. There are some foreigners there, but mostly the Buddhist monks in orange, you know, they have the orange robes. And there was this one foreigner guy, a European, and I remember all he was doing was cleaning, you know. But at that time, I didn't know, but that was also like a mindfulness practice. I thought he was just cleaning. It's like, what's this guy doing cleaning in the temple? But it was part of his mindfulness practice and his meditation, you know, present moment awareness. So I was doing that, and then that was it. It was like, 45 minutes, an hour. And I'm like, okay, I'm just sitting here. What do I do? And they're like, come back again tomorrow. (laughs) Walk through this door and do the same thing. So I felt like, okay, this is a lesson in itself. So I was doing that for about a week. And then I dropped in. Like 
And then, because at first you're just so fidgety. You're unsure, you're fidgety, you're restless. You're taking a look around to see like, am I doing this right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I doing this right? And then eventually through showing up and the consistency of just being present, the practice organically kind of drops in, you know, when you close your eyes and just for me, when I start nowadays, like when I close my eyes and I could drop into the practice fairly quickly, you know, because it's been years of constant consistency. It's a practice. It's not perfect. It's it's not going to be perfect. So that's how I started. And it took a while, you know, should I be doing this for an hour? Should I just do it for five minutes? Like, you know, and finding that sweet spot for yourself. And for me and my life now, I find 20 to 30 minutes is a good practice for me, you know, in terms of meditation. And then about a 20, 30 minute practice for yoga is good for me. So in an hour, first thing in the morning, I do that. I think the things, a couple of things that you said were, were also things that I've experienced. So number one is showing up. You know, sometimes people think that meditation is just something, you know, they start and then it should just, you know, keep going that way and they don't have to put any effort in it, but it doesn't happen that way. You have to show up. You have to be committed. Like you said, consistent. I think people give up too easily. You know, I have a lot of people who say, you know, I've tried meditating for years and it just, you know, I can't get my mind to stop. And sometimes I, I explain to them that you have to repeat, 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 repeat until it becomes very natural. Some people, mm. they just need a little bit of help with the technique and still others, I think they are looking for something to happen in meditation But meditation is not about something happening, right? It's about when things stop happening and it's just stillness. It's just, you know, getting into that space and feeling just so connected to, to the source, to the universe and so on. And I think that a lot of people don't understand meditation really well, but definitely showing up, committing to it, being consistent is something that... I think would help a lot of people if they could do those three things, they definitely get somewhere with it. Yeah. And those are the things that we have control over. And after a while, the practice takes over. You know what I mean? The practice drops in and it's, and then you, it's about allowing. It's not about doing. It's just about creating this space, this time, this space and allowing the practice to work itself. And I tell you what, a hundred percent of the time I get my best ideas right after meditation. I always have a pen and paper right next to me because I'm like, Oh, I journal right after such great insights. You access that part of the brain, you know, that's just opens up. I don't know what it is. It's like your soul is talking to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is something I think that once you get started on it, you, you have to continue it because some part of you just feels like I can't get through the day without that because that space is so beautiful, calming mm. and re-energizing. I completely, mm-hmm. I completely hear you. <laughs> now, you said that in doing yoga, you found your inner peace, that it saved you some, from some very dark times. So how did you get into yoga and what were the types of practices you started with and how did mm-hmm. you grow from there? So I started with yoga. I was still traveling around Asia. I was like probably 18. It was my last year in Asia, 18, 19, somewhere there. 
And I came across a CD of my teacher, my mentor, Shiva Ray. And I needed, and I wanted to do an exercise that I was traveling a lot around Asia. I'm not a gym person. I don't like going to the gym and running on the treadmill. I'd prefer to walk and hike or something. And I needed to take something with me that I could practice and stay healthy, number one, physically in shape. I could take with me anywhere I go in any situation, in any environment. So for me, it was either dance or yoga or swimming. But then with swimming, I would need access to a swimming pool, right? which I don't usually have. So I ended up with yoga because it's a more quiet (laughs) practice versus dance, you know, and I would have roommates wherever I lived or, you know, the model's apartment or whatever. So with yoga was a very good compliment. So I came across a CD of my teacher, Shiva Ray, and it would just walk you through basic asanas and postures, you know, it was like a one class. And then when I eventually relocated back to LA, I found the studio where she was teaching at. And I started going to her class there. And, you know, one day became two days a week, became three days a week, and then became every day. And then shortly thereafter, I, I started an Ashtanga practice. So I started studying with Chuck Mati, uh, Chuck Miller and Matias Rati in Yoga Works. Um, so I was doing Chuck Miller's 6.30 class, 6.30 a.m. every morning, six days a week. And that was a really strong practice for about three years. And I was doing that. Yeah. How did you become a teacher? Through Shiva's recommendation that I should look into teaching. It wasn't something like I started yoga in 1998. Yeah, 1998. I got certified to become a teacher in 2006. So that's like, you know, it's like eight years of doing yoga. It wasn't something I thought I would be teaching. It was just something that, I incorporated it into my life that felt good. I experienced the benefits of it. I worked through injuries. So, you know, and it was something beautiful. And then, and she's like, you know, you might want to think about teaching. And so I took a teacher training program and I was like, okay, something I could look into. But with yoga for me has always been about my seva, you know, your gift back to the world. It's done so much for me that it's our way of giving back to the world. For me, at least that's my path when it comes to yoga. That's why I've never really set up a yoga studio. I could have easily set up a yoga studio 10 years ago, but that wasn't the point. We wanted to unite the community. You know, it wasn't about separation. It was about yoga as a movement, yoga in itself as the offering. That's what it was about for me. And you've really been instrumental in bringing that community together. And I would say really making sure that yoga is something that is a lot more accessible to people here in the Philippines. So I know that your mentor, Shiva Ray, gave you the um, Philippines chapter. She wanted you to start the Philippines um, (laughs) chapter, right, of the Global Mala Project movement. Tell me about that and how that connects to this idea and concept of seva. Okay, good question. So at that time, when Shiva thought of that, it was 2006. I had just gotten certified or gotten a yoga teacher, completed my teacher training. And I was working with her at the time, too, part-time at her studio. And she came back from a hike. And she was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was an event 
that would link all the yoga ashrams and schools and studios around the world to create an energy, to create this consciousness, you know, for one day using yoga as a platform for peace and action. She said that we're like, okay, there was three of us on our team at the time. We're like, why don't we start with LA and see how that does, right? Because <laughs> we were like, how are you going to do the whole world? That's crazy. That's, that's a lot. So we, within a week, we, got, we signed up 108 yoga studios within one week. And then word got out that, she was, that Shiva was launching this. So all the other students that she had from all over the world with different studios wanted to join in. So it went from an LA event to a global event and it was all launched in 2007 and Philippines was there because Shiva said, Hey, Teresa, you're from the Philippines. Why don't you do the Philippine one and bring it to the Philippines? I was like, uh, okay, but I'm not an event producer, but that's okay. I'll figure it out. And, uh, my, my, my sister who's in fashion and also produces events, she really helped me out and you know, came up with a structure on how we can execute the event. And, you know, it was a very small event in the beginning. We had like 60 people show up. But that was when the seed was planted, you know. And, and as the community grew, more and more people attend the event. They really embraced it and made, their, made it their own event. The studios have embraced it. It's become a community event, and I just happen to facilitate it. Like, I'm not really like... It's not my event. It's it's their event. We're just like making it happen. I've been to the um, Global Mala event and it's it's really an amazing feat. You make it sound so simple and easy, but it is a huge project. And the amount of people that are connected yeah. to that and the kind of activity that happens there is really something um, that should be recognized. I think you're, you're, you know, you're not giving yourself enough um, credit for that because it is really something amazing. When was the first event you did in the Philippines? In 2007, September, 2007. Yes. That was the first event. We skipped a couple of years only because last year I was pregnant in 2019. And then in 2011, I believe I was living in LA at the time. So I couldn't be in two places at the same time. So I couldn't produce the event. And, you know, but it takes a lot of people to make the event happen. So I can't give myself full credit because the teachers that really come together to help, you know, participate, offer their classes for Seva, the team that's been working tirelessly. Everyone works on this pro bono, by the way, because 100% of the proceeds go to charity. So we organize the event. There's a core team that organizes the event. Everyone does this pro bono. I and mean, we just have scheduled times to meet or we have, you know, Zoom meetings or we just figure out and make it happen every year. So this idea of Seva, it's really, you yeah. know, important in in yoga so can you elaborate a little bit more so that because i think it's something that's very valuable for anyone in any industry to understand that giving back gets you a lot of flow into your life as well so tell me a little bit about that as well yeah so seva the that practice is what can you offer the world how can you contribute in a positive way back into the world. And for me at the time, I had just gotten my teacher training completion. And at the end of that training, we had to do a 30-day sadhana where we had to commit ourselves for 30 days to seva, whatever that is. Because of the timing, I finished my teacher training and then I jumped into working with Shivan Global Mala. 
Global Mala became my seva just because of the timing, you know? So for me, that has been what I committed myself to for the last 12 years was the Global Mala project. And it has given me so much. Because yoga has given me so much, this is our gift back to the world. It's given so much to the community. And in turn, because the community have gotten together, we're able to raise funds and awareness for global issues and for environment and for children, for, you know, for organizations. We're able to just having the strength in numbers of people coming together, we're able to affect positive change in community. You know, whether that's through frequency, vibration, volunteering, or actually monetary contributions. I'm so inspired. I can imagine all our listeners who are listening right now. I mean, what they're thinking, because really, it's just such a beautiful thing to give back to the world. And I think that when you have such a big and open heart and you want to share things to the world, I feel like you get so much back, whether it's blessings or positive energy, or there's just so much coming to you in the, in the way of support, the right people, the right opportunities, you know, everything just becomes very easy. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. When you do something, I believe in karma, you know, I'm a big believer in karma and how you live your life, you know, will affect generations to come. So tell me a little bit more about how you feel about karma. So what is your, what is your idea of karma and how do you perhaps live your life keeping that in mind? Okay, good question. Karma, if it's from past lives, you know, like the karma I'm receiving from I don't know if you believe in past lives or other dimensions absolutely. or things like that. Yeah, so we, we can do a whole esoteric field right now. Yeah, so, that might take us in a completely different <laughs> tangent, and I would love to. But, but you know, let's let's make it a little simpler for our let's audience. Make it simple. Okay, so if it's the karma I'm receiving in this lifetime from a result of a decision or an action that I did in a previous life you know, because I unconsciously was not aware and I'm receiving it now in this life lifetime, either through pain or through a difficulty in a situation or an obstacle. I try to keep that in mind and knowing and know that what am I learning? What is it I'm supposed to learn from this lesson? You know, start with acceptance. Okay. It happened to me. I accept it. What am I supposed to learn and how am I supposed to improve? You know, that's how I digest karma in this lifetime for me. If it's happening to me, right, how it affects my action is I try to be mindful of how I treat myself and other people because that in itself will spin a whole, you know, will start a whole nother karma in that direction. Does that make sense? Yes. So essentially what you're saying is you start with acceptance Okay, you mm-hmm. own whatever is happening in your life. Okay, as even if you're not perhaps orchestrating it yourself, but it's happening to you, you accept it, you own it. And then you start questioning, right? You try to understand what you're learning from it. And I think that's the key is for people to question what they can get that's positive out of every negative situation, which could be karmic in nature, right? And then you try to improve yourself from that. So that's already like three steps anyone can do to 
essentially build up their positive karma or, or work through their karma and then to be very mindful not to create any more negative karma to have to work out. So I, I like the fact that you talked about dealing with the karma that you have received from other sources, which you may not be aware of, and what you can do mindfully right now about being responsible about anything you create for the future. And I think mm-hmm. that is a, a good way to handle karma because karma is really continuous. It's past, present, and future. And so you're mm-hmm. really being responsible for all of it. Now, before we get to the next question, we're going to be right back after this short break. Marhaba, I'm Jarek. And I'm Apple. And we're from the Langa Speaks Podcast. Coming to you all the way from Dubai. Yalla, join us as we talk about family, faith, and, and everything, everything in between. between. We're brought to you by Podcast Network Asia to remind you na palangga ka sanjo. Now, I have like so many different questions. It's it's <laughs> such a great conversation already, Teresa. Now, um, from yoga, how did you get into the other different practices that you you do? I know that you do a little bit of Ayurveda in terms of skincare. Mm-hmm. You're very careful about the food you eat. I know that you find your connection with nature is something very important to you. So did yoga essentially lead to all these other things or was it happening simultaneously? What was your personal journey of well-being? like from from when you were younger and as you have evolved through all of it? I was raised in a pretty healthy environment in terms of nutrition and food. So my mom was very aware of not giving us soda or, you know, things like that. However, I think with yoga and studying yoga, I was exposed to different forms of wellness, you know, because, you know, Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. It's a system of wellness from India, and and they're very in tune with the natural world, you know, uh, Ayurveda is, and the body and, and things like that. So I just, it was just a hobby reading up on it so that I could enhance my yoga practice. But then that system of wellness, once you adopt it and it's become a habit and it's become your lifestyle, it's so integrated into your body, into your system that... You know, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's, it's already in me. How I do my skincare is because I actually met um, Dr. Pratima in New York and she does Ayurvedic skincare. I read her book. I met her in New York. We did a consultation. This was like in 2007, 2008, no, even before that, 2006, somewhere there. And then, you know, I met her there. I read her book. She gave me the products, the essential oils and basically all those things. And I was using it and I use it to this day. It's like, it's so good. What do you know? Do you remember what was the name of the book? In case anybody wants to read up on that. Absolute beauty. Absolute beauty. Okay. Yes. By Pratima Raichur. Radiant skin and inner harmony. And what did you notice happened to your skin after you started using the Ayurveda products? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Whenever people ask me about skincare and what I use for my skin or what kind of makeup I use, I always say, you know, outer beauty is always a reflection of inner beauty and about what you put into your body. So hydrating, not ingesting anything toxic, 
you know, I stay away from alcohol and, and drugs and all those things, you know, that'll age you. But really, 80% of skincare is what you eat and what you drink and how you hydrate and sleep, you know, just making sure your body is functioning because your skin is a reflection of what's happening inside your body. So give us a view of your life, Teresa. Like, how much do you sleep? What kind of food do you eat? How do you keep yourself healthy in all these different ways? Okay. Uh, my daily, I'll walk you through like a day, you know, I get Sounds up between 5.30 to 6. I do my meditation practice. I try to do a yoga practice in between. If not, if my kids are awake, then we do breakfast and then I do a little bit of homeschool. And then between one to about four o'clock, I get work in or I do podcasts or I do meetings on Zoom. And then between four to seven is family time. That's when I connect with family. We, we do playtime. We prepare dinner. That's our, our evening routine with our kids. And then their bedtime is usually eight o'clock. And most, most of the time, I'm in bed by nine, nine thirty. And then I try to get a full night's sleep because I wake up so early. That's usually my, my cycle. If I have time to get some reading in, I try to get light reading in, but I don't watch too much TV or Netflix or any of that stuff. I try to be mindful of the media that I consume and making sure it's positive or I'm going to learn something or, or I'm watching a documentary. I, I enjoy watching documentaries. That'll give me a different perspective on the world. So that's kind of, that's my day-to-day. What I eat is uh, I try to stick to healthy whole foods. I'm not vegetarian. I do eat meat. I do eat fish. I eat chicken. I eat red meat. And that's for just nutritional, just how I made up. I tried to be a vegetarian for like a year and I became very anemic. So with my blood type or whatever, they said, I really have to have some sort of animal protein. So I started eating chicken and then I would just work in like a steak once every two weeks. But for the most part, I would say about 70%, 80% would be Fruits, vegetables, cooking very light, very clean, lots of salads. This is what I notice about people who are very much uh, well-being oriented or they really live that lifestyle is they may not necessarily be an extreme on any end. You know, they may not be vegan or vegetarian, but there is a natural inclination to eat things that are healthier, more whole. You just feel better and you feel more, you know, you recognize because you're so in tune with your body. You recognize what your body needs, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, and you know what to avoid. So I think that's really clear. Now, how about trance dance? So I know you you created um, trance dance, and it's something that is very much close to your heart. So what is trance dance? How How does one do this? Okay, so well, trance dance, yoga trance dance was actually created by my teacher, Shiva Ray. So Shiva, um, I took a teacher training with Shiva, of course, also for trance dance. So, you know, I did my yoga teacher training as kind of like your general studies. And then your major would be like a trance dance. So I did trance dance as my major. So basically yoga, uh, yoga trance dance is a mixture of yoga and freeform dance. You know, it's not about looking cute. It's not about, you know, following a certain movement. It's really about allowing the body to listen to that internal heartbeat and let it express itself through motion, 
through dance, you know, whether it be African drumming, Brazilian, it could be Marvin Gaye, it could be Andre 3000, it could be, you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, it could be anything. But we inherently as human beings have a strong connection to sound and sound vibration. And what we do is we, we utilize music, utilize the vibration of music to raise the frequencies of the body. So if you do the trance dance class with me, we start from a very slow, neutral place, and then we build up the kriyas until you break out into this like energetic, free-form expression of dance, you know, which is something we are all inherent to. Like if someone tells me, oh, I can't dance, it's not about it. It's not about dancing. It's about expression. It's about allowing the movement to express itself in your body. That's what it's about. You know, when I was younger, I used to go to the Osho meditation ashrams quite a bit. So there's one in India. Um, There's a couple, you know, around the world. And that was a really big thing at the ashrams. So Osho practice, Osho's a a master back in the 80s. He had quite a colorful history, but we we won't get into that. But a lot of his meditations were called active meditations. So there was a lot of dance and there was a lot of this kind of trance dance, which was, you know, you're just kind of building up all that energy, you express yourself, your dance, your movement, and then you would settle down at the end. And that's when the real meditation would happen. Like you said, when it drops in. And I think these are all Mm -hmm. different ways of connecting with, you know, ourself and really building that confidence to be who we are and express ourselves. And, and so I really relate to what you're talking about with trance dance. So do you do classes with this or what, what do you do with trance dance? Yes, Yes, we do classes. Well, well, right now, obviously, we're just doing it through Global Mala Project. But this year, actually, I made space. Instead of me teaching trans dance, I wanted to give other teachers the opportunity to be able to teach and offer what they want. So this year, I'm behind the scenes. I'm going to be just organizing, and I'm going to be helping run the back end. But normally, I teach a trans dance during Global Mala Project for this. It's tricky right now because we can't stream live music. So I can't teach it on a, I'm sorry, I can't stream recorded music. Otherwise they'll shut down the stream. It's just the way IG live works or Facebook live because of licensing. Right. So it's, and it's also, I think it's important when you do a practice like trance dance to be in the room, to be in community with people. It's not something you can do via zoom. I personally feel that if you want to do it on your own, I would highly recommend doing it on your own. I would try to find some sort of audio resource to do that and put some headphones on and do it because you can't be looking, you know, just through a guided audio resource. I'm still trying to find it. Once I do, I'll share it with you so you can share it with your community. That'd be great. Yeah. I think, I think that's something that we could do, maybe not in a formal way, but you know, when you're just feeling really stressed out and anxious and just, there's so much tension building up that put on some music, put on the headphones and just kind of go wild with whatever moves and whatever you want to do and just express yourself and release all that excess energy. So I would imagine it's something that's very therapeutic as well for people. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about the Global Mala Project movement. I know that this year you have quite a few things that have been going on um, with the Global Mala events. You did something when the pandemic, for, when the quarantine first got um, 
announced. And then you have an event in September as well. So what is the goal of Global Mala Project for the Philippines? What is the, perhaps what is the motivation for everybody? I know you talked about Seva. I know you talked about, you know, getting the community together. And I guess what I want to know is where are you going from here? And what have you seen in the evolution of yoga in the Philippines? Like I remember when I first got here, there weren't that many yoga centers and I got here more mm-hmm. about a decade ago. And now there's a lot more happening, a lot of different styles of yoga. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, from an industry perspective, what are your thoughts? Okay, let me address your first question about Global Mala, what we're doing this year. So this year, we're doing an online event for two days. We are going to be streaming yoga classes live from teachers from all over the world. So we have about 24 time slots. We'll be announcing the schedules and the teacher lineup soon on globalmalamanila.com. So you could follow that or follow us on our Facebook page for more details. But the idea of Global Mala is to create a day, a space, and time where we use yoga as a platform for peace and action. And how we go about doing this is 100% of the proceeds from Global Mala Project go directly to charity. And this year, we're working with Save the Children Philippines for that. So all the teachers that that are coming together are offering their classes for SEVA, which is for free. That's their gift back to the community. All the people that are attending the workshops, the classes are doing so online. It's going to be available free for everybody. But at the same time, all we ask is a small donation towards the organization. Now, Teresa, I know that um, another big passion project of yours was the play that you did, Every Brilliant Thing. I remember I attended opening night and I was crying throughout. Yeah. And it, you know, it really hit home. I work with a lot of people that struggle with similar kinds of issues. Your performance was amazing. And I know that you were, you had the production on this year as well before uh, the quarantine again got announced. So how did you get into that project How did you feel when you read the script for the first time? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I love that show. I love that play. Every Brilliant Thing, written by Duncan McMillan, a British playwright. I came across the script in 2016, 2017, somewhere there, 2017. And then I read it and I was just floored. Like I just saw the vision of how it could be done, how it could be executed. So I said to myself, hey, if I ever get a chance to do this, if I ever get a chance to do stage again, I would love to do this and work on a project like this. So I brought it to different producers, production companies at the end of 2017. And one of them, uh, sorry, Sandbox Collective said, hey, we actually were looking at this script and we read it and we, we were just trying to figure out like, we, we didn't get it at first, but let's sit down and talk about this. So we talked about it. I sat down with Tofta Vanessa, who heads up um, Sandbox Collective. And, you know, we talked about why we wanted to do it, things like that. And, you know, it was, it was a conversation that went on over several months before they committed to producing the show. And then when we launched it, the first run was 2019. 
And of course, no one knows. You never know how a production is going to go. You never know how it's going to be accepted by the audience. But all you can do is stay true to you, stay true to the character, honor the writer's text, and you're, you know, use yourself. For me as an actor, I always use myself as a vessel. I'm just a channel for, for whatever's going to come through. You know, so I'm there to say the text. You know, the, the writers have written script for me to say, and then for me, find a way to humanize it and personalize it for myself so that I'm able to communicate the story clearly to the audience. The most exciting thing about that project was it's the first time that I've ever done a uh, one-woman show. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever done theater in the round. And it's the first time I've ever done improv in front of a lot of people. So it was nerve-wracking but exciting at the same time because it was, it was a territory I have, it's new for me. And whenever something is new for me, it's like all my cells are vibrating. You know what I mean? Yeah, you really pushed yourself out of your comfort zone with that one. And yeah. I, I think that everyone who was there, who's watched you, can can see, you know, what what an amazing performance you gave. I mean, I was completely blown away. And what I really loved about your performance is, you know, after opening night, that was 2019, the first year that you, you had the, the play running. And I remember after opening night, there was kind of like a dialogue in the audience. Like people were asking questions and, you know, it was part of that, the, the, I think it was a panel, something, I forgot what it was called at that point. And so many people were talking about their experiences with depression and people were sharing and asking questions. And for me, it was just so amazing. And I was really just feeling so happy to be there and be part of that conversation and to hear people being honest and talk about their feelings and talk about things that they have dealt with and to share with other people who are feeling those things, but can't put a name to it or they're ashamed yeah. or they don't have the right support. And I think it's so important that these kind of conversations are had, you know, that we bring a little bit of awareness on things that probably before this people haven't been talking about so honestly. Mm-hmm. So do you think that every brilliant thing has been able to do that, which is to start the conversation that has been not really openly discussed prior to the production? Well, I hope so. I think there were a few things that were um, coming into fruition at that point, especially with the first run. I think they just signed a mental health bill mm-hmm. into, you know, into law. So that was one of the things that was a big win for that mental health community. Yes, mental health is an issue, but it wasn't, there was so much stigma around it that nobody wanted to talk about it. So from the get-go, I remember our first meeting with the director, the producer, Sandbox Collective, and myself. The first thing that we talked about was like, you guys know this is more than just a show. This is an activism. This is, you know, this is something we got to stand for this. And we knew it. We knew it was going to open a can of worms. But we were okay with that. We were okay with that. We had to be honest with ourselves, share our journey. Because I also feel that being authentic and being vulnerable will help other people heal and help them come out and be vulnerable themselves. And we just wanted to use the show as a platform to say, hey, it's okay to talk about it, you know? And after each show, we would have a talkback session of about 30 minutes 
where we invite a mental health practitioner to talk about, you know, whether it's a psychologist, neuroscientist, yoga teacher, essential oils, doesn't matter, to help with these mental health practices and challenges. It was the talkback session. That's what I was um, referring to. And for me, it was just, it was so magical to have everybody, you know, being involved in that conversation about mental health, because I don't think it's been really done before here in the Philippines. I think Mm. mental health is so much more accepted in the rest of the world, but here it's sort of hidden. People don't talk about it. They're afraid of it. There's not enough support and resources. And I really commend the whole team for bringing that, um, for spotlighting that and for having that very difficult conversation. But how was it, Teresa, when you stepped into that role? Because that's a difficult role to play. You know, did you feel that sometimes you were being affected by the character? You know, did you feel overwhelmed at any point with the role you're playing and sometimes get confused between, you know, Teresa versus the role, the character? Did that ever happen to you during production? No, I'm a, I have a very clear sense of who I am. And so I'm, I'm 44 years old. So I have a very clear delineation of who the character is and who I am. So I wouldn't get those confused. For me, the experience was exhilarating, you know, because as an actor, our job is to be able to express and embody the human condition from the highest to the lowest, whatever that is. It could be a great character could be a protagonist or it could be an antagonist someone with very ugly character traits you know but your job as an actor is to be able to embody that and express that and facilitate that because it's storytelling that's all it is it's storytelling so for me like I said I go into this stage where it's like I I zone in and, and I'm a channel you know, and it's, it's exhilarating. I didn't feel tired. I didn't feel overwhelmed after every show. I still had so much energy actually, to be honest, even though the show took you on an emotional journey, I think through all the preparation we had and all the techniques that were applied to make the show happen, we're able to maintain that energy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now the show was about, you know, the whole play is about depression and suicide. Have you had to deal with any of those themes in your own life? And was that perhaps why you did it or why it appealed to you? Was there any kind of element of that involved? I think I spoke about, um, I did speak openly and honestly about anxieties and bouts of depression during the run of the play, which when I read the script, I had a strong connection to it for myself. However, the journey of the character was completely different from mine because the journey of a character is about a mother who keeps attempting to commit suicide. My mother never (laughs) attempted to commit suicide. So in that sense, it wasn't anything alike, like close to my life, but I can feel and I can relate to how the character would feel. That's why I did it. After doing so many sold out shows of every brilliant thing, How did this play change you as a person? What are the things that you learned about yourself or what are the things you think may have influenced you from coming out of that first um, run of the play? The first run, 
What did I learn? Well, this is a play that really confronted the audience. I mean, there's no fourth wall, right? There's no, I had to look at each audience member in the eye and I could see in a weird way, people's journey of whatever that is. I could see when they've connected and they experienced trauma similar to the character or, you know, I could see maybe their relationship with their mother. It's, it's the weirdest thing. I could see and honor everyone has a different journey than I'd have, but our common humanity is what connects us all. That's what I learned. And to walk out of it with hope. I have hope for everybody. I have hope for the human condition and for the human spirit. I can really hear that hope. Okay. So Teresa, now before we end, I have a few questions about your self-care routine and what you do to stay physically fit and healthy. Is it just yoga or do you do any other kind of workout and any other self-care tips that you can give to our audience? Oh, what I do uh, mostly, I like to do yoga, of course, is my staple, but then I also like walking, walking my dog because it gives me time to just be with myself, nature, walking around the block. I like that. I like some solitude. Other than that, I don't really do too much. I dance. I just dance on my own. But that's about it on that. Self-care tips. Drink a lot of water and get lots of sleep. Thank you for that. What is your project loving myself mantra, Teresa? What do you say to yourself or something you really keep in mind to practice self-love or to remind yourself to do so? Yeah, I think my motto in life is keep it real and keep it simple. Keep it real, meaning keep it real and authentic with my relationships with people. Be honest, express honestly, but authentically, but also keeping it real, real vegetables. You know, I don't eat processed food. I like to keep everything like as real as possible and keeping things simple. You know, we don't need more. We need less. We need better, minimal. I like to keep things as simple, effortless, and minimal as possible. I also think that something that you didn't quite maybe say blatantly, but it was like there in everything you said was how conscious you are about everything, whether it's consumption or conscious about, you know, how you're behaving or how you're reacting to things in your life. And, you know, it's a very conscious approach towards living is what I, I, I got from, you know, what you've shared with us about your life. So thank you so much, Teresa, for that message for all the um, wonderful things that you have shared with us and for giving us a glimpse of your life, of what it's like to be you. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Sanaya, for having me. Really appreciate it. Chris, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would like to follow you and learn more. Would you mind just sharing your details and let them know where they can uh, find you and if there's any other message that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes. Um, Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Um, You can find me on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram, which is at love.teresaherrera on Instagram. I'm so glad I got to do this episode with Teresa Herrera. I think that we have been in the same field. We have so many common thoughts, ideas, but you know, in, in life, sometimes we 
meet a lot of people, but we never really get to sit down with them to learn more about them and to connect and to have these kind of meaningful conversations. And I really am grateful that on this podcast, we can have guests that uh, not only share stories from their life, but also give us some insights and some glimpses of how we can improve ourselves and live our life better. I'm glad on this podcast that we get to have these kind of dialogues that inspire all of you and me to perhaps take a look at our lives and see how we can change, how we can, you know, add some more positive energy to get more positive energy flowing in. I particularly liked the concept of seva. It's something that I've been raised with in my own culture. And I think it is a good reminder for all of us that when we do things with an open heart and open mind, you know, the universe has our back. That energy of flow, of abundance, of plenty, of love, of blessings comes back to us. Let me know what you think. Comment on at Project Loving Myself Podcast on Instagram, Project Loving Myself on Facebook, and me personally at Sanaya Gurnamal on all social media channels. That's S-A-N-A-I-Y-A-H-G-U-R-N-A-M-A-L. Write to me, send me your questions. Let me know what you would like to hear more about. And do rate us on Apple Podcasts so we know how we're doing. Thank you to all the listeners for joining me this week on the Project Loving Myself podcast. Your Project Loving Myself thought for the week, it takes one candle to light a thousand. And that is a quote from Gandhi. And I think people like Teresa are the candle. You know, they start movements, they start conversations, they work on themselves and they inspire other people around them. I think that she's made such an incredible impact on the yoga community in the Philippines. And I really admire that about her. I think each one of us have our role to play and all of us can contribute in our own unique way. Once we find our passion, once we find something that really gives us that sense of balance, that sense of connection and purpose in our life. And I'm really inspired by our guest today because I can see how yoga has really uplifted her life. Stay light, everyone. Keep smiling, keep shining, keep inspiring people around you. This is Sanaya saying goodbye on the Project Loving Myself podcast, powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. See you on another episode. Bye-bye. 